Hello, good afternoon, good evening, and good morning to everyone out there in podcast land. This is Garrett McQueen coming to you during week one of our three-week break. Scott and I will be back with brand new opuses of the Triloquy podcast beginning on June 8th. That's where we will start season four. But in the meantime, I wanted to offer a few uh, extended cuts, just the raw interviews of some of the conversations uh, that I had over season three that I thought were really intriguing, and I wanted to give you an opportunity to listen to the full, extended, uncut versions of our conversations. So for this week, uh, I'm offering the extended conversation, the extended interview that I had with Damian Norfleet. He was featured back in Opus 139 of the Triloquy podcast, where he talked about um, his then upcoming collaboration with Ensemble Pi, a piece of music uh, that Damian created that centers the issues of mass incarceration and solitary confinement. In case you don't remember uh, who Damien Norfleet is. I'll read a little from his website here. He says, as an interdisciplinary performing artist, I create pieces that exist at the intersection of contemporary classical music, spoken word, and theater. He goes on to say, my output focuses on the human condition and intercommunal relationships. I'll um, have uh, his website linked in the description of this uh, Triloquy replay. Really a great human being, incredible artist. Uh, we begin our conversation uh, right before I turned on the mic. I asked his opinion on shoveling snow. So he uh, moved to Minnesota a couple years ago from New York, and it's a little bit chillier here in the Twin Cities than it is there. So we begin talking about winter weather, how to deal, and get into the rest of our conversation. So thank you all once again for continuing to support the Triloquy podcast. Uh, we will be back again with new opuses and the beginning of season four, beginning June 8th. But for this week, here's my extended cut interview with the one and only Damien Norfleet. Hope you enjoy i don't know if i like doing it like you know four to six times a day and that's what was required like, you know, because you know the bible don't say nothing about this cold that's what i tell my parents see don't send me no bible verse because jesus didn't have to deal with negative 30. i mean jesus was walking around comfortable <laughs> he was walking around wouldn't like no draws like just like just billowing flowing clothes i'm up here in seven layers in science, wrapped in science. My coat is science. <laughs> you know, it's all these things and fabrics that end with the EK, things that don't, you know. But I was cool. It was all right. I mean, the thing that was most uncomfortable about Saturday is obviously the the week happened. Let me know when you got to your, your your test. Oh no, yeah, oh yeah, we're we're, we're going. I, we I just dropped <laughs> I dropped the needle where where it oh, drops. Okay. Yeah, I mean. Obviously, we can talk for a long time about acclimating to the Minnesota weather, but the other sort of climate of Minnesota, how have you adjusted to that? The people, the arts, culture, all of those things. Well, that's the easy answer. I haven't. I haven't acclimated <laughs> even the slightest bit. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm not. I haven't. I mean, A, I moved here, you know, last March. Mm -hmm. um, so almost a year. Almost a year. We're approaching a year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Gosh, but yeah, we were still in the middle of lockdown. So that makes getting to know your new environment challenging. Right. Um, and then also, you know, there were still people hanging out in corners you know, with machine guns, and like mm -hmm. tanks. And yeah. That's not the warmest welcome to a new environment. Like right. it's like policemen with machine guns standing on corners. So I mean, that was all very real. And then um, I happened to settle in a part of Minneapolis Hmm. How do I say this? It's it's. There's a lot of white people 
Like just a lot of them, you know. The, they don't the, call the it North the Great Blue. White North for nothing. <laughs> it's just a lot of them. And since this kind of conversation was happening in Minneapolis that, you know, involves race. Yeah. You know, I think um, in general, the country is uh, hmm, sensitive towards race at the moment. And not sensitive like our feelings get hurt, but it's like like sensitive like it's a you know it's at the forefront of people's minds like this is a serious thing this is there's a group of people who have had enough of certain kinds of treatment there are certain people who are just discovering these kinds of things which is interesting right and then there are other people who are which is to complicate the matter even worse there's a group of people who feel like their discomfort with this is on par with the actual pain and 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 maltreatment other people in this equation have felt you know mm-hmm. so there's also that kind of space and and, you know, in, in, in my particular neighborhood, considering what it's mainly populated with, um, I think there's a lot of emphasis on the discomfort of people, white people. There's a lot of emphasis on their on their discomfort and how they're handling this particular system in Minneapolis. And I think they do need to talk about that. You know, I think this is a situation that's affecting everyone. And I do think that just like, you know, Black people have had, you know, we're experiencing this in a very different way. Mm-hmm. Um, continual, you know, continuous way. You know, mm-hmm. it hasn't stopped. It started the entire time. But like, we are literally marching for our lives and we're having conversations that are life and death, literally. You know, like stop killing us conversations. Mm-hmm. And it's it's kind of hard, like just like a, a basic way of, you know, organizing your priorities. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right now there's a life or death thing happening we can get down to like, and I feel uncomfortable a little later, but right now people are dying. We're not talking about whether or not you feel comfortable or you think it's socially acceptable to talk about something. Like we'll, we'll, we'll get to that later, y'all. Right now well, there's people well, dying. Well, what's resonating with me is you're saying that we focus on the discomfort, even that phrase, oh, we have to become comfortable with the uncomfortable conversations. That's just sort of become a sort of branding that is connected with all of the issues we're dealing with. What do you see as less performative and more consequential aspects of the work as the arts can engage it what do what does an uh, an opera company a, a, a small ensemble what do they need to do to actually do something that matters at the end of the day um in general or directly about what about the police either, violence in general either or? this is your show um <clears throat> well i mean I, I grapple with this um question and and it's because it's a question i've actually asked myself over the last two years if you asked me this question two years ago Mm -hmm. i would have a very specific clear concise answer with specific examples of like and for example i did x y and z you know this pandemic happened and um it, it it uh it forced me to retreat literally and figuratively. Like we all had to, right? We all mm-hmm. had to go within our own spaces with our own thoughts. And I, I it, God, it was just compounded with all the stuff that went down, you know? <clears throat> it's like, we were already dealing with, well, let's keep it to police. We can keep it to one small thing. Cause this was a, an issue I had before the pandemic and it's still a strong one for me now, right? Mm-hmm. We were already dealing with our relationship with the police and with with you know the prison system and all these kinds of things in our country already, right? We already we already um, 
I can't assume everybody knows things I know, but you know, with with a small Google search, with the, the with just a small jewel of energy, one can track the 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 genesis of our correction system and prison system and policing system all the way back to antebellum antebellum slavery exactly exactly right and so we've been dealing with these kinds of dynamics forever um so then factor in that you know all of a sudden a different kind of attention is given to the fact that we live in a country where public servants can kill civil uh citizens and somehow in this pillar of democracy, a public servant can kill a citizen and we need to talk about it. <laughs> like, there's, yeah, there's a discussion. There's that a discussion necessary. It, right. How is that just not completely wrong, mm -hmm. point blank, in a place that calls itself the pillar of democracy on planet Earth? I mean, it is the same kind of thing when, you know, a few years ago when it was on everyone's lips, you know, we're putting children in cages at the border. How in any kind of sphere is that a thing that needs to be discussed? Mm -hmm. I mean, first of all, if you're from, I, mean, I grew up in Texas. So if, you're, if you have any experience in being in the Southwest, you know being locked in any kind of a cage during the summer months is already like a ridiculous kind of torture, mm -hmm. right? We have, that's, This is a land where we get things like heat indexes. Like up here, we get things like, oh my God, it's gonna be really cold, y'all don't go yeah. outside. In yeah. the South, it's the exact opposite. There's a day where like, oh, it's 98 degrees, but the real feel is 120, you know, don't go outside. So it, it's just it's just funny that we have these spaces or these huge atrocities, and it's only atrocity as defined by what we say we are supposed to do, right? This isn't like an atrocity by Damien's moral you know, mm -hmm. standards. This is an atrocity considering our constitution. Right. <laughs> you right. know I mean? This isn't about opinion at the matter. This you know, We hold these truths to be self-evident. All men are blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. And then we've got, you know, when that didn't stick, we've got a series of amendments that also kind of strengthen this. So to see us just going against these things is upsetting on one level. But the, 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 the so to go back to your question, I find myself in this kind of place where I just was just forced to think a lot about what I do and what my role is to get back to your exact question what are we doing? And all of a sudden for the first time I started having these thoughts of is what we do enough? You know, when you, when you think about black lives matter and what it stood for originally, mm -hmm. you know, it has definitely broadened out to, to, to cover lots of things. But when you just think about like, Oh, this collection of, you know, these handful of mothers being like, look, our children are dying. We just can't do it anymore. You know, if you just go back to that original kind of thing and it, it's hard for me as an artist, and I don't know if you as an artist ever have these questions, you know, is, is singing a song enough for that? Mm -hmm. You mm -hmm. know, I, I have, I have friends and peers and family members who were, who were marching and then even that question i'm like is marching enough right for that right like it's it's not it, it's it's not working but of course if we go back into our own afro-american history what would be the struggle without those songs what would be the struggle without the spiritual and and what they sang in the church houses and what they sang while they were out there marching so there is some importance to it there's ultimate importance to it but that can't be it I right guess is what we're right and, touching this, on. and this is where i came back to right it, 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 it music specifically 
has always played a role um, in, in our culture. It's, it, it is a time of comfort. You know, I remember when the pandemic uh, first set in, I can't remember the company that produced this. And it's not even important. And it's not even important which, which singer said it, but it was one of these virtual things that people were putting together. And, and this particular one looked as such, you know, mm-hmm. no shade, but it, you know, it looked like they really put this together last minute. Cause, and I'm not even mad at it because when, when these things happen, George Floyd, we were all so affected. We would have been affected anyway, but it was just exacerbated by the fact that we were already in the middle of this pandemic. It was, people were just, it was too much, you know? Mm-hmm. And I remember it was one, I just remember a singer saying like, he heard the news and he was like, all I could do was sing. And I remember thinking to myself, That's it? <laughs> yes. And that was my initial reaction. And then after I sat with that for a minute, I was like, right, right. But sometimes you have to start there, you mm-hmm. know? And so but to go back to your, your question about like, what do I think people should do now? And what do I do specifically now? When I started at this place of is performing enough? Is sharing this enough? Is this what we need to do? Is it enough for what Damien as a person needs to do? No, I need to do more as a person, as an artist, you know, we don't necessarily need to change our function. Artists create art, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? And I don't know that if it's the best idea for all of a sudden for a bunch of artists who are trained and skilled at creating art to try to make something else all of a sudden. Right. You know what I mean? Like still do what you do because what you do is completely, you know, valid and, and it has great contributions. And so when I was dealing with this kind of struggle within myself of like, do I keep doing what I'm doing? Is it is it effective? Am I making a difference? Is me is me shining a light on a particular, you know, thing that I find to be really problematic in our culture and our society? Is me shining a light on that still enough? You know, because I kind of feel like we're in this moment where people know what's happening. Mm-hmm. It's not ignorance anymore. Right. Like it's not it's not ignorance. What we're what we're really facing as a problem. Um, it's it's that next thing. It's that next thing. And I and I kept thinking about like. When you talk to other people who don't have the same kind of stake in this, like non-black people, for for example, you know, maybe people who don't actually have the the uh, experience of literally losing someone that is related to them or that they grew up with, mm-hmm. uh, or that they usually talk to on a daily basis, or that they live next door to, but it's real. You know, it's like when the pandemic first started. Once it was something over yonder, we were like, oh, that's oh, that's. This is, this is kind of scary. Mm-hmm. You know, this is kind of let's be. But once all of a sudden we had some domestic numbers and like people's neighbors all of a sudden, because then we were like, it felt different. Yeah. And I think that's, I'm using that as kind of an analogy for how this particular problem with our being okay, how public servants can kill citizens in this country. And it's something we're supposed to discuss, right? So it's, what do we do? We're all upset. We're all stressed out. We're all worried about our jobs in addition to our public servants killing us, right? right? In addition to all of that, in addition to racism in general, in addition to se- segregation and redlining that's still like just ridiculously happening, in addition to like these blatant bold things of like picking up voting ballot boxes mm-hmm. and liberty, I mean, just all these blatant actions of just racism. We're supposed to just talk about like it's like, well, I don't know. Well, maybe it's racism. Maybe it's something else. I'm like, really? Is it? Are we, are we doing that? You know, it's just right, kind of a weird right. thing. So, on top of all of that, we're tired, right? Like people are tired. I just watched people 
friends and not just people that I've heard of. I'm talking about friends and right. coworkers and family members. Just you can watch them like lose people lose it. This is a lot we're dealing with. This is not a talking point for primetime news. This is like this is real life for all of us. And it's it's a lot. So and it's that, not just a talking point for primetime news. It's also not a selling point for arts organizations. So as we, you know, talk about the ways in which the arts can engage these conversations in one way or another, we have to also consider who the audience is. How do you approach the conversation of who you're telling things to, who you're sharing a message with? Yeah, and and that and, and I'm gonna tie this all to all your questions. I'm not answering any of them, right? I'm just kind of like talking at the moment. <laughs> but like, it all ties into this one thing. Before this pandemic, and before this new moment, before this latest crest of interest in 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 the the plot of you know the plot and plight of black folks, I was really focused on shining a light on issues I didn't think were getting enough attention, awareness. I would say I was really and information and knowledge. After this pandemic moment, I became aware of a, a certain, a different kind of need. And, you know, art and music can be great at bringing attention to things, but it's also a great place for, for rest and, 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 and comfort mm -hmm. and, and just really getting us through, you know, you, you can't look fighting the fights that need to happen. Cause there are lots of fights that need to happen. But you can't fight unless you rest. You know, what I mean, and you need both. You can only give what you got. You can only give what you got, and you know, you it's 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 like, you know, hmm, here's here's a good analogy that I think uh, America can identify with. You know, we're all taught about how the redcoats fought the uh, revolutionaries, and you know, mm -hmm. the revolutions were all running around doing what they're doing, and the redcoats were like, let's get in this line, and then y'all shoot your gun, and then y'all ride to the back, and y'all can reload and rest, and then these people are going to shoot that. You know what? There's something to that. <laughs> there's something sure. to that. And I'm just like, you know, I'm gonna, I'm let me borrow something from y'all's culture real quick. Like, I think there's a moment we're out here and like, literally I was in New York when a lot of these demonstrations were happening. And all I could think of was like, look at all these black people literally risking their lives in multiple ways now. I mean, they've always been, we've always been risking our lives to, to be like, hey y'all. To survive. To survive, right? right? I mean, <laughs> to we exist. Are, right, I mean, but now in addition to that, they were risking exposure to this mysterious deadly virus we didn't know about. But you know what? It, it, that's the level of importance. You know, I, I had so many people ask me, like, I can't believe they're out there marching in these streets with this coronavirus out there. You know, it's I was like, well, yeah, but, you know, the coronavirus, as we knew it at the time might kill you. Right. There was a chance that could result in injury or death. It was, it's certainty. <laughs> like, we know police kill black mm -hmm. people. We're reminded by it, you know, when they decide to, like, publicize one of the instances every couple of months. You know, whichever, when, when, when an incident makes it to a point that people cover it, there are so many other cases of this kind of violence happening that don't make it to, you know, our beloved MSNBC or our beloved ABC or NBC or wherever you are CNN or Fox, mm -hmm. wherever you happen to get your news, you know, it's, it, it's, it's a lot. So a long story, a little bit shorter, Gary, I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's, it's like, I've really kind of shifted my, my output to being less about educating non-black folks to certain mean. things yeah. to just being like you know what let me devote a little time to 
consoling and comforting for a little while, you know, and a lot of that was also because, you know, we were in lockdown and what can you do from your home? And it was a lot about pulling back from, you know, a lot of my, my activist work that I did before um, was a lot about partnering with, with organizations and institutions, whether it be like literal music groups devoted to this work, like Ensemble Pie mm-hmm. or, or Dream Unfinished is another one I commonly work with. Um, but it, it, this became a different kind of arena you know, like I know you have a platform that reaches thousands of people. Mm-hmm. And I think that is so necessary. But for me, I also felt I was like, you know what, sometimes you just need to talk to your people. And I found myself really retreating and like really kind of reaching out and picking the brains of, of people I love and respect. And like my circle just got real small. It just I kind of like retreated into my therapist in a way, you know, mm-hmm. and just brought selected people with me. I, I just it, it was a moment where like, I feel like we're always so exposed and we're so accessible to others. And whether the others is the majority in this country, whether the others are these institutions we find ourselves working for. Mm-hmm. Um, and I use that preposition on purpose because the, where I think we need to go is the, is, the, is the addressing of that preposition. You know, working for or, or, do, you, or do you want to work with? Yeah. You know, and yeah. I think that's the direction we need to start going and thinking. Right? Maybe even working on in some cases, but, but that's a different conversation. Yeah, you know, it's, <laughs> it's all of that. But like it's this, it's this retreating and understanding that everyone isn't granted access to me and mine and to us we really are allowed to be like no this is not for you and i don't mean i don't and i'm not going to be made to feel any kind of way mm-hmm. like I, you're you know, not you're not what you're centering is yourself and not this external idea of who should be comfortable who should feel welcomed X, yeah. y, and Z. i mean yeah. as we've seen you know they they already feel like we don't have they, you know, here we are with this us and they, but mm-hmm. I'll be very specific, you know, so, we do, so no one's confused about the they I'm talking about. You know, this latest incident that happened here the past week was a blatant, it's a blatant, like, display of the lack of respect and how they they value us. I mean, talk about, like, I mean, no knocking. <laughs> like, not even the bit, I mean, it, it's just like the whole way the whole thing went down and you have to watch it. it it's... So y'all barged in, didn't even knock, and then they were on their couch with a blanket, and then you just shot them. And it's like, it's Minneapolis. It's winter. It's cold. You know how many people are on their couch with a blanket? Like, it's just like all these things that, but no time to think about it. And then that took me back to the the incident that changed me mm-hmm. in this kind of renaissance civil rights movement we kind of right. finds ourselves Racial in. Racial awakening. We're, yeah, so-called. you know. It, but it was it was... I mean, when that baby was in the playground, playing with a toy, playing with a toy in the playground, and they just drove up, barely screeched to a halt, and shot that baby dead. And I was just like, yo, this is a different kind of a problem. This isn't a legislation problem. This is not a, a kumbaya moment problem. Like, listen, we have asked for what we have asked for and they be it the majority be it the government you can insert the they here whoever Mm -hmm. is in opposition to these things has given us their answer yeah they said no we're not doing it they've said it for how many 
years. Like it's, we've already marched. We've got several laws on the book. We've got multiple laws, multiple amendments, da, 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 again. And it's just like, it's, it's very frustrating. So all that, to come back to your question of like, what do you think we need to do going forward? I mean, I do think it's still this moment of, we just, we still need to shine lights on things. You know, we still need to lift rocks so we can all see what kind of things are crawling under there. We still need mm-hmm. to do that. That work never ends, right? Because, you know, there are a few pandemics going on in this country and world, but one is really ignorance. And one is a, a voluntary ignorance that is really exercised too much in this country amongst certain groups of people, mm-hmm. you know? Like one of my least favorite things I hear, because I had some coming, I had some coming, you know, gosh, I had some very difficult conversations, difficult for my friends. You know, I, I have some non-black friends, you know? Me too. <laughs> I got one, a few. One of them lives with me. Right. I got a few people <laughs> in my world that I, I love. And, and 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 those who love you and respect you, this kind of conversation I'm about to describe doesn't happen. But for those who have a different kind of relationship with you, at some point they make that request of like, okay, I don't want to talk about this anymore. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I don't want to hear more politics. Let's talk about something else. They're I don't tired. want to hear it. They're, They're tired. Fatigued. They're fatigued. And then there's like this kind of thing like, you know, can't we all just take, take a break? Like, you know, take a little break. And then you're, the, you're somehow the bad guy if you can't all of a sudden turn off your blackness for a while and, mm-hmm. and, and, and compartmentalize your pain. Because that's the thing, right? Like for people who aren't black, this particular situation we're in, they're visiting. And they can turn it off and, and, and not have to participate in it when they don't feel like they want to. I can't turn it off. And this is, goes back to like, how am I acclimating here? And, I, and I'm not, because like, I've never been a person that like walks around with my headphones on. Yeah. Because I really do like hearing the sounds of my environment. You know, maybe this is kind of the, the, the nerdy artist side of me, but you never know when you're gonna pass a sound that's really cool and it, it, it takes you somewhere. You see a painting or you see the way a leaf has fallen on the ground. And, but I mean, there's all kinds of beauty around us, right? Like literally, and there's all kinds of beautiful sounds around us. And I like being aware of that. It's also dangerous. <laughs> we also live in a time, you might mm-hmm. wanna be aware of your surroundings because you don't know if you're next, yeah. you know? You don't know what's happening, you know? Yeah. Especially walking around New York. I mean, that's, it might be the New Yorker in me too. You just wanna, be aware, but I don't want to engage, Garrett. I, I've really found myself in this place of just not wanting to engage. And I don't know if I want to be in that place. I don't know if I want to be that person. Yeah. But honestly, that's the person I am. Like I, I, I put on my headphones to go check my mail mm-hmm. just in case I encounter one of these people who think that their discomfort with the current situation is a problem because there's two things that happen in Minneapolis. And here's something I, I think is um, another reason why I haven't, engaged with Minneapolis um, in the way I would have hoped I would I would have by now. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, like jump in here, right? I mean, I'm ignorant to Minneapolis, but Minneapolis in my ignorant opinion, because I haven't been exposed to a whole lot of it yet, but I mean, Minneapolis is very, very identity driven, specifically the art scene, but just in general. And I don't know if that's a bad thing. It's just a, notable difference than where I'm coming from. So I was like, oh, wow, this is kind of interesting. You know, it's, everyone kind of qualifies and prefaces what they're about to say and what they're about to do by what they are. And I don't know if that's something that's not supposed to happen in Minneapolis. Y'all have had some serious challenges here locally. And I think maybe that is supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe we need, do need to be made aware of it. But if you're not necessarily accustomed to engaging that way off the bat, 
it's a little, it takes some getting used to, you know. And then the other thing that's really weird is this thing people like to call Minnesota nice. I mean, <laughs> yeah. can, can we call it something else? Like, this mm-hmm. is some whack-ass behavior. Like, this is, I, I don't, I, I don't You know. are dragging the citizens <laughs> of Minnesota. I don't, I mean, not, not really, though, because the, everything I'm saying actually has been described to me by a native Minnesotan. Sure. Like, when you meet someone and you're like, I'm not from here, the first thing they tell you, like, well, listen, just so you know, mm-hmm. there's this thing here called Minnesota Nice, and you have to be patient. People engage this way and this way and the other. I'm like, or... Yeah, and it's an acceptance of the status quo that is that it feels like you have some dissonance with. You know? Yeah, it's it's a difficult way of living. They're like, well, you just have to get used to it. And I'm like, let me like let me think on that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I ever want to engage in that way. You know, I I've I don't know if I want to engage that way. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying people can't. If people want to engage in this thing that has been called Minnesota, it's nice to me, but it sounds a lot like what other people I know call passive aggressive behavior. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you want to subscribe to that, I mean, if it makes you comfortable and that's what you're used to doing them, you know, awesome. I think, um, but I don't know if I, I don't know if I know how to interact that way. I mean, we've met each other. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I know how to, yeah. Hey, I know how what you doing? mean. You know, I don't know if I know, I know how to do mean. that. So, um, so do you see isolated triptych as a direct, approach to something as opposed to that passive aggressive sort of Minnesota nice that you're describing right now? No, isolated triptych <laughs> is, is actually a very specific and um, interesting, and I kind of dare say selfish project. So when when Edith, who is the founder and artistic director of Ensemble Pack. Mm-hmm. Who's been on Triloquy, shout out to Edith. Yeah, she's great. I, I, I love Edith, I really do. She's not only is she a great artist, we've actually become really great friends, which is so interesting because we're so different in so many ways. But we're, uh, I don't know, I, I really love Edith. I, I, I love, I mean, she's welcomed me into not just her ensemble and not just her artistic world, but literally into her family. Like, I, I, I hang out with them. You know, mm-hmm. I just, I really, I really enjoy, I really enjoy the Cormans. But anyway, um, when she elected, uh, when she decided that this was going to be the theme, of this, of our next big concert. I mean, our last big concert, we really centered on reparations. Yeah, um, and that was a very fulfilling kind of moment because you know these concerts happen, and I hope people get some kind of enjoyment out of them, and I hope you know for the hour and a half we have you or the hour that we have you, you get something out of it. But months for me in my process, months of research goes in to these sorts of things. And maybe all that research doesn't necessarily make it into onto the stage. Mm-hmm. You may not even see it, but it changes me and affects me as a person, which changes and affects how I approach the piece. Right. So that being said, Edith was like, Hey, we're going to do this next concert and we're going to center her on like, you know, prisons and, uh, the justice, their the, the so-called justice right. system, yeah. <laughs> right? Justice system and correctional system and all these kinds of things, and and Garrett, it's there are certain things I have spent enough time with, and I've put it in a place where I'm ready to discuss it with the public. Mm-hmm. And by public, I just mean like dif- different groups of people. You know, as a black person, prison <laughs> conceptually is just very problematic. And I, and I don't know, like at this moment, if I was in a place 
to discuss it in a meaningful way with other people that were not black. I just don't know. I can't, I can get there. Mm -hmm. You know I mean? I don't, I can get there. I'm just not there yet. And I will get there. I'm just not there yet. So I had to figure out how I could participate in this concert in a way that wasn't, I wasn't shutting down. I was literally shutting down. I mean, I, we before our little chat, before we came on the air, I was I was highlighting some some of our conversation about between our ensemble and, and some of the uh, groups we were thinking about uh, partnering with, and some of the people who've been doing a lot of this work for years, and having them, you know, educate us and and give us like some insight and share their story firsthand. Mm-hmm. Um, it was hard to hear the things they wanted to talk about because to me that was not the most important thing. And it was hard for me to discuss these other aspects of our prison system. But what's an example of one of those things that you didn't want to talk these about? These other aspects? Yeah, those other things. Um, like, you know, there are, there are various uh, organizations that have taken it upon themselves to go into prisons and do things. Like there are some organizations that are... Uh, uh, they have like, you know, their, their goal is to rehabilitate the prisoners. And rehabilitate in the sense that like something was wrong with you that landed you in prison so now that you're here we're going to try to fix what was wrong with you that landed you in prison i've got all kinds of problems with that right mm-hmm. we know people land in prison not because of something that is wrong with them we, right we, we are, yeah you know yeah. what i mean so i was like mm, you know i don't have anything to say about that that is going to be a collaborative kind of it's not it's not going to lead to a collaborative sort of so so what's your it. response to the person who's but 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 some people do land in prison because something is wrong with them or they did something wrong. Yeah, sure. That handful of people do, sure. But it's greatly swamped by the number Mm -hmm. of people that are in prisons for different kinds of reasons, right? right? Yeah. So what I had to do in particular for this particular concert to happen and me to be able to participate in a way that I felt passionate about something and I felt it was like honest, I had to find the part. and, and, And keep in mind, I've never gone to prison. You know, so I don't tend to, in my work... Um, base it on something I can't firsthand relate to, you know, and I don't have a, a firsthand connection to prison, but I did. And I also prefer to create pieces because I'm commissioned to make uh, a performance piece for this, for this particular concert. And I was really thinking, um, who's going to see this? You know, to go back to your other, your earlier point about like audiences, mm-hmm. who's going to see this? And sometimes I make art and it's for me or it's for some higher cause. But sometimes, especially when it comes to activist work or activist oriented work, I don't know if this is the realm for abstraction because like the nature of activist work to me, to me, right, is to communicate something or mm-hmm. to say something. Either you're for something, you're against something, you want some kind of change to happen. This isn't a time to be confusing. Mm-hmm. This is a time for some kind of, you know, you need alacrity and some clarity in this. So I, tr- I try to make things a little more pointed into the, so, so it's not lost, right? Because the more effective way is to set your platform is way more effective, in my opinion, in addressing certain topics directly because you're speaking. We don't have to figure out what the symbolism means with this with the sure. poetry of it it's sure. just boom i mean this and i think that's the way you need to speak about certain topics when you want people to understand so so how does that directness play a role in how you're gonna approach this performance right. are, are you just gonna you know do like the rapper say cut the music and just and let me say, and say what you need to say you know maybe i mean that's <laughs> not i mean that might yeah that might happen but what i was specifically looking for is i was like well let me find something 
about this because prison is evil. Our current prison system is is wrought with torture. No hyperbole. Like I'm not exaggerating. This isn't flowery speech. Torture happens in prison, right? All kinds of torture. But there was one kind of torture that because I, I, I don't also I also didn't want to make a piece in something that's going to get mired and stuck in these places, like you said, like where these people are going to be like, but what about the two people that aren't yeah. doing it? That's not the point of this. So I was like, what is something that America or people en masse can empathize with that is a horrible thing happening in prison, right? And we've all been in this lockdown kind of situation and we've all felt the effects of what happens when you were confined, right? We all have, you know, we, words are being thrown around like cabin fever. But the, but the point of that isn't the severity. It's the point that we know what the feelings are. We all know what it felt like to be stir crazy. We all knew what it felt like. We don't know what day it is. We haven't gotten, we haven't put on clothes for three days. We all notice our mood swings. Mm-hmm. We all notice our fatigue levels. We all notice all of these things. We all notice like, oh my God, I've got to invest in self-care. I mean, and, we, and all of that with access to Uber Eats. And the internet, right. you know, and space and yards and people mm-hmm. coming over safely, all these AC, kinds of things, you know, everything. air conditioning, basic agency. Mm-hmm. So, but even with all of that, we felt the effects, psychological effects of what's happening. All right, fast forward to prisons, right? So they're throwing people in these uh, prisons, which already is confining and already detrimental to your health, mental health, but specifically solitary confinement, right? When people are being placed into these cells, which are roughly the size of most of our bathrooms, you know, no access to a window, you know, rotten food is literally served to these people who are in prisons. I mean, there's all kinds of torture that happens, not to mental the abuse that can come from personnel. So, you know, but, but specifically back to the psychological damage that comes from solitary confinement, I was like, you know what, I can relate to the effects of solitary confinement and so can everyone else. Mm. I can highlight, I can do a piece about the wrongs of the torture and everyone can understand like, oh yeah, that does feel horrible. And then like, once you understand like, oh, this is happening, you can, you know, broaden your mind a little bit, do a little Google search. You know what I mean? And don't take my word for it. You know, the UN, our beloved UN that sets international standards on humanitarian standards and this, that, and the other. They said solitary confinement is torture. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They say like up to two weeks is the most you should ever do everywhere. I mean, you know, then there's United States. Literally before the pandemic, we had numbers of like 50 to 80,000. That's five figures. 50 to 80,000 people were in solitary confinement on any given day, like in 2020 before before uh, the, the throes of, of this virus and pandemic. Yeah. During the pandemic, that rose like 500%. Like they're like... I mean, we're, we're well over 100,000 people that can be in solitary confinement in a given day. And let me find the exact number for you because I was gobsmacked. And, you know, I also want to point out that, like, this doesn't take a lot of effort for me to find this information. I'm not a research scholar. You know, I didn't go to a research university. Mm-hmm. This is like something anybody can find on their phone. You know, I found some extra numbers because I wanted to make sure I had the most current numbers before I got here. So I looked up some things on my phone in my lift, just on the way here. Like this is accessible things if you just want to know. You know what I mean? So if you don't know, you just don't want to know. And I think that applies to a lot of what's happening right now, black people in general. But yeah, um, there are 300,000 people, you know, according to the Marshall Project, which does a lot of effort documenting some of these numbers about uh, in terms and conditions in prison. I mean, they're saying there's, you know, numbers like 300,000 people in solitary confinement. That's 300,000 people locked in the space of what we consider our like, 
bathroom sizes where conditions are like no TV, no this, no that. Lights are on the entire time. Can you imagine trying to rest with fluorescent lights on? Yeah. And we've all, yeah, we've that's all certainly tried torture. To, it's, it's, it's crazy. And this kind of environment is going on, not for a few weeks, you know, not for, we were all locked down for a year, right? Mm-hmm. You know, Barely, we all, if that. We yeah. all went crazy. There are people who've been in solitary confinement, not prison, solitary confinement for decades. You know, multiple people, <laughs> lots of people have been in solitary confinement for years. Like, this is crazy. And like, you know, again, you don't have to take my word for it or anybody else's word for it. If you believe in science and medicine, there is not a single psychologist or psych- psychiatric practitioner or, or or scholar that will not tell you that being in solitary confinement, and they say that permanent damage can actually occur from this like days sometimes, mm-hmm. as soon as that. All of that fueled me and I could at least empathize with that. So that was a starting point for me. So I just kind of dove in a little bit more and like, why is it torture? That's my question. Yeah. And I think that's a lot of people's questions. They're like, oh, well, why is it so torturous? You know, I don't understand. Well then, you know, there's all kinds of things. And it basically comes down to agency. Which, again, this applies to black people at large, right? Because this is the exercise we do in America. We, we, we try to take away people's agency, yeah. right? I mean, slavery is the ultimate. We, slavery, prisons, right. both, both places where the system and the environment is set up for us to have as few choices and as little agency as possible. And science and medicine, everything else shows is a direct connection to your agency being in, in, in place and intact to your, you know, your, your mental health being intact. Literally without agency, you literally go, psychosis is, is the result. Like literally, again, no hyperbole. So I went in and just dug in a little bit. I, I nerded out and dove in a little bit more and discovered that there's like, you know, most of most people who delve in the world of social scientists, social sciences, like psychiatrists and all these and psychologists, all these folks, you know, there is a lot of study that there's three parts to your agency. You know, there's like the projective agency and there's the iterative agency. And then there's like the evaluative uh, agency. Long story short, it's kind of like hopes and dreams, things you project forward. Mm-hmm. That's one part of it. And then, and then your memories and past experiences is the iterative one that also helps inform your personhood and keep you balanced. And then it's also like what's happening right now in the now and do you have the ability to react to it? Um, and that's the last one. And so I just dug a little deeper. I'm like, is there a direct correlation to that, to this solitary confinement in prisons, right? And, um, you know, you can talk to people and hear their firsthand accounts. And we've got some people, you know, here to tell their story. And it's, you know, they're not, they're not being told by us what to say. You know, it was an invitation and they accepted it and, you know, and they want to share their story and we are allowing them to, you know, and they're as much a part of the process as anyone else. You know, they get to be involved in this. They are curating their piece. They're not just here and here's a little bit of space we're going to let you do something that we're going to give. You know, it's not that. We actually want to hear what they have to say because people need to hear what they want to say. How do you, how, how are you engaging the conversation of what these incarcerated individuals, uh, their levels of interest in this if the circumstances were different. I can understand how any incarcerated person might be moved to have a conversation with you or other collaborators or, or offer anything. If they were free, maybe they wouldn't give a damn about improvised music or, or whatever. How, how, do you, how do you weigh the, the circumstance with what you're cultivating in this, in this project? I'm sorry, I didn't quite understand the question. You mean to 
So, 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 so basically we're dealing with the subject matter of individuals who don't have this agency fully that you're speaking to. I feel like oh, a part of that, that, right. I feel like a part of what has to be considered is the way in which that lack of agency meets your complete agency as an artist and the intersection that isolated triptych lives in when we, when we talk about. Oh that. yeah. Well, I am not directly collaborating with any of our guests on this concert. Um, I, 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 I was asked to, um, and I, and I, and I kind of said no. Hmm. And it's because I feel like I need to listen. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I, I need to, I need to listen. I want to listen to them. I need to hear what they want to say. Um, as much as like, I think our audience needs to hear them. I need to hear them too. So I'm doing some pieces independently and then their numbers is really all them. I mean, they are literally the MC. Well, one of them is literally an MC. Um, that's involved in the concert. That's also a welcome guest. Um, but it, yeah, they, you know, some of them decided to just write narratives out about their story. Some of them decided um, they wanted to, to make songs on their own. Some of them wanted to come and be there with us and deliver their own things. Some of them were like, I'd rather somebody else do. I, I mean, there was all these kinds of different things. And we were like, well, what do you want to do? I mean, we gave them the same approach that we all take with ourselves. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I don't know. I, th I just think it's such a moment for me to listen and to learn and there are times with my platform i you know we we both have these platforms where information is kind of goes a direction right you know we, we're sitting on this side of the microphone right and that is a bulk of our work but i really thought in this particular moment in time with this particular subject matter i needed to listen mm -hmm. so my piece isn't dealing with their personal stories i'm, I'm going to celebrate them as much and and try to enjoy them as much my piece is really just inspired by this like the 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 structure three structures in particular of prison that are specifically made to tear down agency mm -hmm. and it's like the it's the the physical structure the personnel and the routine you know they you know sitting and they tell you what space you're in and that does a lot we all know that firsthand what happens with being stuck in a room yeah but they also have these elaborate rules you wake up at this time, you do this at this time, and it just like, you have no choice. And, and that's how the routine of prison also attacks your agency. And when your agency is gone, that's when you can't have the, that's like, you, you, it's complete psychosis. You no longer can access and process your emotions. And so many people who are in, in solitary confinement come out with se severe cases of agoraphobia. Yeah. And they just, you know, and then we throw them back out into the world, right? And then we, you know, as if that's not enough, we also practice this thing here in America called uh, civic death. Are you familiar with that? I'm not. Civic death dates back at least, at least as far back as the Roman Empire, where the practice is, if you are found guilty and labeled a criminal, you lose your citizenship. You lose the right to vote. Does that sound familiar? You lose access to public funds and resources. Does that sound familiar? Mm -hmm. You know, all these kinds of things, you basically are stripped of your citizenship. And it's what we do here, despite what our constitution says. So when you are found guilty of uh, a crime, not a misdemeanor, what's a felony, yeah. if you were made, uh, labeled a felon, you know, we already know you're disenfranchised. We know you can't vote, right? And, and it varies state to state and time to time, but across the board, you can't vote. 
you also are no longer allowed access to federal grants, which means like if you want to go to school, I mean, figure it out without a Pell Grant. I mean, I don't know, figure it out. You know, you aren't allowed to have great well-paying jobs because here we have a practice of like, have you ever been convicted of a felony? Mm -hmm. Check this box. So the incarceration continues. The, the, the walls become continues. invisible, but the walls are still there. Yeah, completely continues. So they, they, prison, they can't have... Uh, marriages children probably can't get a passport i would imagine you definitely can't get a passport you know there's all these things that are continually being contested but like you know uh custody disputes and divorces you don't have a say usually if somebody files for disorder you know you both go to court and blah 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 blah, blah. you get a say none of that it's carte blanche to the other spouse like right no questions asked so there's all of that but it, it's there the reason why i couldn't participate in this kind of environment of uh, anything other than prison being an extenuation yeah. of slavery. I, I can't talk about anything else when it comes to that. So it, and it's, and again, I was like, well, how did I arrive here? You know, I, I like to make sure, I like to try, I like to let my thoughts and feelings go where they go. And then after I calm down a bit, I like to be like, am I crazy? Like, am I, am I just speaking off left hand? Am I just mad? Yeah, maybe it's just me. Yeah, does yeah. somebody <laughs> look at me wrong today? You know what I mean? Right. But then I was like, let me just, let me just check. Yeah. You know, I was, let me just, let me just go check. And, and we're in America, you know, if you want to be a citizen, you sign. You basically sign a, a contract that you're going to abide by the Constitution. Mm -hmm. and we're all supposed to do that, right? And it, and because we were dealing with things like this solitary confinement and long sentences and all these kinds of things, of course, my first the first place I went is the Eighth Amendment, right? Which says it's the one about you know no cruel and unusual punishment, sure. right? Which is interesting. Unless dot dot dot, you know. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just. But the interesting thing about it is is the language of these three amendments where I took myself, right? The Eighth Amendment reads as no cruel and unusual punishment can be inflicted. Not, you know, not sustained, mm -hmm. not endured, inflicted. Okay, all right. No, no, no uh, excessive bail can be required. Okay, so you're not allowed to require excessive bails. You're not allowed to, like, inflict certain punishments. They're not talking to us. Mm -hmm. I don't get to inflict punishments. I don't get to set bails. They're talking to the people who get to do that. Right. Y'all know who that is. And then, so that reads weird. I'm like, hmm, that's interesting, right? And then there's another amendment that we talk about because, you know, when you go through this thing, and we were talking about it earlier, prison, whatever we want to call our prison system, whatever, it's completely an extension of slavery, right? We know how, like, fugitive slave law went into this and then these people running around, round people up. But we know with how that grew and, right. and what, what, um, what do we call them? What do, what, what do they call them? What do they like to call themselves? Or, or, or our finest? Or, or yeah, or, right. Yeah. See, that language doesn't even live in my spirit. So. <laughs> I was like the what? But anyway, yeah. it's it's so it's so. But like when you when you read this, like slavery is not a thing anymore. It's not a thing anymore. It's not a thing anymore because we passed the Thirteenth Amendment, which we referenced earlier. But I just want everyone to listen to the exact language of the Thirteenth Amendment because it's just like, okay, well that's cool, and it says like. Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for crime, whereas the party shall be duly convicted, shall exist within the United States and our, our, our things. So they, they, they clearly identify prison as punishment for something, right? So being that that's been what's established, it's hard for me to have a conversation about 
the rehabilitative qualities of person. That's not what it's there for. Mm-hmm. That's, that's not what it says. It's right. not what it says, right? And, right. and that's and that's and that's just difficult for me to to swallow. So so I'm doing a piece on the effects of solitary confinement and just trying to shed some light on how this torture is happening in our prison. And there, it's just ridiculous. So the piece itself, for those who don't want to go into like, because sometimes, listen, music can be what we do and art can be what we do. It, yes, it can be activist. You know, it can be a tool of activism. It can be all that. But I do understand that for some people, this is entertainment. And some people want to, to go to a concert to be entertained and they want this escapism and this kind of that. So for people who want to come to the concert for the sake of like, I, well, what's the entertainment value? Isolated Triptych, and, you know, it could also be described as it's, you know, it, it is a three-part piece, as the name just, you know, mm-hmm. implies, that is, you know, in, it's, it involves spoken word and, and, and song and movement and um, scene work. And it's a theater piece on in some levels too. So it, and in a lot of improvisation, and there is um, and puppetry, and a lot of these like uh, modes of performance are chosen on purpose, right? I mean, I my collaborator, I'm, I'm working with someone on this thing. Her, her, first of all, she's brilliant. Her name is Mara Gayen, and I got to work with her this past summer um, because I did uh, I did a I worked with the company. There's a company called the Bread and Puppet. Um, theater company which is an activist puppet theater imagine that yeah who knew um who knew and they've also been like in business and active like since like 60s Mm. i mean it's been around for a while Mm. they started in the the lower east side of new york but it's 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 a it's they do all kinds of interesting work look them up when you all get a chance called bread and puppet theater but anyway i worked with them on this piece which led me to meeting this brilliant movement artist named mara and we just discovered that you know, I've done a lot of different kind of performing. You know, I've been in movies, I've been in TV shows, I've been in operas, I've been in musicals, I've been in plays, and I've played the bassoon, I've played the saxophone. You know, I've done all these kinds of things, but I've never really uh, delved into this world of poetry, uh, poetry, puppetry. Mm-hmm. And um, it was interesting. I didn't realize how much of a blessing this particular skill set and, and experience would be for this, because it's also a very interesting thing. Like, instead of me operating a hand puppet. This movement artist, this dancer, Mara Gayan, who's again, she's so brilliant. She's the puppet, and mm. she is going to react to my words, and um, and then to varying degrees, we're going to show how you know when, when I'm puppeteering with her, she's got no say in what happens, and then like we gradually have distance between us, and she has a different level of agency, and my character has a less lesser amount of agency, and and then built in with within all of that is the fruits of our research about the effects of of the structures of prison and how it deteriorates your agency, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. But how are we going to handle this involvement of um, these people telling their stories because it it ties into something else that has been really bothersome for a lot of us as black artists during this time you know every february but particularly right now in this season of this new resurgence and interest in alleged uh, awareness (laughs) all of that stuff right and because we all you know you talk to one composer, you talk to one flautist, you talk to whatever, and we might have different instruments and slightly different interests, but it all comes down to like everyone wants us to talk about this, you know, you know, it's, it's, and that's which means that system of labor, those power structures, those power dynamics are still very much at play 
even within arts ecosystems. Yeah, you know, and it's and it's it's do your it's we we were interested in your pain. We're not interested in this. We want this very specific thing. Now, it is is that wrong across the board, Garrett? And this is where I where I get because at one moment, I talk to some of my friends and peers and myself, and they have lots of things things being criticisms. I should just use that word. They have a lot of criticisms of our fair institutions and how they're being treated and how they don't want to be treated anymore and how this, that, and the other. And there's conversations of ownership and entitlement and all these kinds of things. And they need to be discussed. And I've also had to interact with these institutions before. Um, and, and, and sorry, these institutions being... Being anything like opera companies, uh, orchestras, uh, museum spaces, uh, concert hall spaces, any you know these classical music in general, right? It's it's there's this conversation of you know, are there enough of us involved? You know, on either side of the stage or the proscenium, you know, mm -hmm. are we there? Are we being paid equally? Are ideas being valued? Are we seeing ourselves? in these spaces, um, are our voices literally and figuratively being respected and honored and, and uh, respected more than one month a year? And, and are we being treated as like some kind of, you know, something, you know, to parade around in front of people? Mm -hmm. Are we being taken seriously? Are we a flavor of the week? I mean, there's all these sentiments and it's, it's a weird conversation for me because on one hand, people want people meaning uh, artists of color. Um, some people want access to these spaces. And that's an interesting conversation. You want to be granted access? Like, what does that mean, right? You can be very specific with what you're asking for because it's, if you're, if you're, if you are, if you're already positioning yourself in a conversation of, I want to be granted access. But you're already putting them in a p place of granting right, you something. Right, exactly. So that's a different kind of conversation. Right? Mm -hmm. If you're putting yourself in a, in a position of this is already mine, you're keeping me out of something that is mine, right? Like it's a little easier, um, this particular point, is a little easier in the world of new music where I spend most of my time, right? Because mm -hmm. this is novel. This is here. There's not a whole lot of like, well, actually, this is ours because we invented this, mm -hmm. you know, in the 16th, 18th century in Europe and y'all weren't even around. You know, this is, this is ours. This mm -hmm. is the one bastion where we, this is ours. Y'all, y'all want to come into our space. You know, and I don't, I'm not as interested and or involved in that particular aspect of the conversation. I've stopped I'm my mother's son. I'll put it this way. I've stopped asking people for things. I've, I've never been comfortable asking people for things. I'm mm -hmm. fine doing things with people. I love collaborating. I look at these institutions, these orchestras, and I work with them regularly. So, I mean, I don't have a, I mean, you know, I don't have a problem working with them and I enjoy it, right? But I look at them as like I do any other collaborator. I am not grateful that you chose to allow me into your space. We are mutually grateful yeah. for us to be sharing our gifts with each other. And if that is not the agreement going into it, well, then that's not an agreement that's okay for me. So I think, yes, there's a lot of responsibility 
on the part of these institutions. Lord knows, right? That's every institution in America. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's across the board. That's in education. That's, I mean, that's everywhere, yeah. right? That's, that's, that's banking. The I mean, Lord knows banking, you know what I mean? But like, in, in just in the arts, like, there comes a point where like, yes, we can ask for things. Yes, we can demand things. And all these things are necessary, but that needs to be paired with also then you got to follow through. You can't ask for, demand for, but then accept mm -hmm. something that's not what you asked or demanded for. And that's difficult. You know, that's, the, that's the difficulty in this particular argument because, you know, keeping it into one area that we both don't make our bread and butter, but we both kind of have dipped our toes in lately, like this opera world. Yeah. You know, there are certain demands coming from opera singers to opera companies. And I hear all these demands. A lot of them make a lot of sense to me, you know, and I talked to a lot of my peers who are like, full-time traditional opera singers. And I use the word traditional in that, like they're just Loosely, interested, in the, yeah. they're interested in the traditional rep. Right. You know what I mean? They're not just trying to sing music by living composers. They also want access to Carmen and, mm -hmm. and you know, Magic Flute, yeah. or, you know, they want access to the operas that are regularly programmed. <laughs> you know what I mean? And there's a reason for that. And in there's the conversation a reason for that too, that, right? right? And, I, and I get that. But at the same time, I'm not pointing any fingers and I'm not saying this is a, a thing. At the same time, people need to be, uh, I think we need to be specific with our demands and what we want. Because if you're in there saying, we want X, Y, and Z, and X, Y, and Z may be like, we want you know, representation, we want access to all the same roles, we want people who know how to deal with our hair too. There's no reason why I have to go out here in this kitchen ass wig, because you have <laughs> yeah. a wig master who doesn't know anything about our hair, and y'all don't know anything about right. lace fronts, or whatever, and I'm supposed to walk out there in this dry wig, or you know, whatever. I mean, everything from like that level, to just like the, the blatant racism that can sometimes happen in, in, in rehearsal spaces, right. you know, right, all, right. all the way to that. But then, you know, and I don't begrudge anyone this because this is a business, right? I mean, you are, we are not just here to fill our souls. We're also here to fill our coffers. Like, mm -hmm. We do this for a living. There's a difference between an artist and a professional artist. There's a difference between an opera singer and a professional opera singer. Once you do that for your living, there's a whole different, you know, it's a different rule book. But the moment the Met comes calling, you want this role? Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, and, and who could begrudge, you know, that's, that's the point though, but it's, it's, this is the minutia that makes it difficult for those who aren't black, <laughs> you know what I mean? The people on the other side of these conversations, and I have to confess, I don't engage with them a lot. I don't talk to a lot of administrative teams about how they're going to change their working spaces. I have to, I have to confess that I have invested, and this is me personally, not everyone's in a position to do this, yeah. but I've invested more of my resources, time and energy to being independent. You know what I mean? So I'm not dependent on some of these institutions. I would love to, I, I still enjoy working with them, especially with like larger projects. I mean, because a lot of the institutions have access to all kinds of different resources. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? It's one thing if all you want to do is small projects that you can ind independently fund. And that's great. And there's nothing wrong with that kind of work. But sometimes you might want to do a work that is larger and requires different kinds of resources. Mm -hmm. And you should have access to those too. So it just becomes... This space of, you know, on one level, it needs to be a contractual professional conversation and like, you know, not feelings, not feelings, right? This is just business. We, mm -hmm. People love to say things like, this is business. This isn't personal. This is business. Well, what happens though when your business 
can't not be personal. Yeah. When 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 the when the when the question on the table is your blackness and how does that interplay into your field, you know, into your occupation, to these places you want to work, you know, to be a black opera singer and to be happy doesn't mean you're supposed to be relegated to these other spaces. You know, I mean, you should have access to all these spaces too. Like you, we should have access to the Met as much as anybody else does, as much as any other American has access to the Met. We should have access to Carnegie Hall as much as any other American musician has access to these places. And I think people are working towards it, you know, is it working? And and, I, and I, I'm actually asking you this question because I feel like you have, uh, I think you're more of an expert in this than that. I think you spend time asking these questions and hearing answers from these people a lot more than I do. And, you know, is it working? Maybe, <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe, but this is a new space, right? I mean, we're not going to know if it's working, I guess. The, the the way I boil it down is that we're trying to keep an arm on the white supremacist nature of this art we all found ourselves in while trying to move in another direction. But we're afraid to take our arm off of off of that thing. Well, you know, whatever analogy we want to use, we're, we're afraid to take our arm off the rope because that's all we've known. That's all that the industry has known. So I think as we move forward, it's more about having more of the conversations that you know, you're, you're, you're having, you're alluding to, but not for the sake of perpetuating an art form for the sake of doing the thing that the conversation is for. And I think that is the missing link with, with so many of these things. Yeah, I think, I think it is too. You know, I, I, I can, that, that's interesting. I'm going to think about that a little more. Um, cause I haven't really looked at it that way before. Um, but it's, it's, you know, there's there's also I look at some of my peers and you know, some people I, I used to go to school with that are you know doing this full force and when when I was of the mind that I thought I wanted to be a full time opera singer of of the traditional canon, you mm-hmm. know, I was, I was I saw Rigoletto in my future and I saw these other kinds of roles that you these roles are put in front of you. I mean, these these are the roles you aspire to do because these are this is these are roles are showed to you, yeah. shown to you in your in school and your young artist programs, all this kind of stuff. And there's and again, you like I mean, it keeps going. I don't know what's responsible, but you know these programs train you and try to groom you into having a career, to being able to work. Right. So there's a there is a logic that says. Here's the canon that's regularly produced across the world, you know? If you can find a way, if you and your body and your your technique fit into Bohem, there's always a Bohem. You could work year round, every year, if, mm-hmm. if you're a person that can do Bohem. You know, if you're a person that can easily fit into the Verity things, the, the Carmen, the, the, you know, the big, the big six, you know, they're just done all the time, then great. If you're not granted access to those things, you have a very different career and struggle, you know. And it's also to go back to the, the blackness as a black musician across the board, not just opera singers, because I'm actually tired of talking about just about opera. But like, if if you're a musician in an orchestra, this and that, it would would it be nice to be able to like? Wouldn't it be nice to be able to show up, open your case, you know, rosin up your bow, sit down in your assigned seat get your life together and then play a piece as a professional trained musician that's passionate and cares about their work. 
Wouldn't it be nice for that to be what happens? You walk through the door, you get your shit ready. Oh, sorry. Get your stuff ready. You sit down in the thing and you get to play your piece. Wouldn't it be nice that if you, the moment you walk through the door, it wasn't and now you are carrying any opinion anyone in the room has ever had about black people and any opinion you've ever had about. I mean, now you're in there trying to play your instrument and do your craft as best you can, but now it's also racism. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's also racism. Cause I mean, it's so funny when I, when I blast in my past. So when I was making this very difficult decision 20 plus years ago about what I wanted to do for my career, and I decided, oh, I don't want to just be an opera singer. I want to be, I want to do, all, I want basically, succinctly, I want to be an interdisciplinary performer. I mm -hmm. want to do all kinds of things. I still want to sing. I want to dance. I want to do, I still want to do all of it. I want to sing in English so that my mom can understand what I'm saying. You know, I want, to, I want mm -hmm. my friends to come to the show and understand what I'm saying. And to me, that sounds like a very small thing, but it's not. I love for the audience to understand me. You know, I don't, I don't, you know, it's like, it's like this concert next month. Like if I get up there, and I'm doing all this research for months and going through all these feelings and dealing with these conversations and these fights within myself and other people yeah. about what's right and what's correct and what's this and what's that. What's the point if I get up there and like I do it all in French to an English speaking audience and they don't understand the thing I'm saying and there's that there's not that connection. You know, it's it's like this past weekend and there's a listen, there's a beauty in singing in other languages. Don't get me wrong. Sure, I love sure. I love language. It's very fun. But there's something about this past weekend when I went to see uh the opera, uh, the one in France, the Bologna, the Bologna, yeah. Joseph Bologna, yes, yeah, Joseph Bologna, which is interesting. It was a very, you know, it's, it's, I don't do spoilers count now. I, mean, I don't think it's a spoiler, it, but it, like, it's been hundreds of years, it's fine, right? But no one's really seen it, <laughs> sure, yeah, that's I true. It's like the first, that's scene. true. Uh, sorry about it, y'all. I'm about to say something if you don't want to hear this, you know, just close, I don't know. but there's is much in the vein as like other kind of operettas we've seen before. Mm -hmm there's some spoken dialogue and they decide to sing all the music in French. Yeah. And then the spoken dialogue is in English. Right. And it was just a very interesting thing to, you know, I took a moment to watch the audience and the kind of engagement people have when they could understand the words. Right. You know what I mean? Right. It was right. so different. And I'm like, as an artist, I don't ever want to not have that engagement. And it's just so funny because you, you know, you go to opera in other countries, it's not, I mean, at the drop of a, people, if you go to opera in Germany, it's not uncommon for them to translate everything into German. <laughs> you know what I mean? They will turn a Verdi opera into a... a sure. They, you know what I mean? It's And the same thing in all these other places. I don't want to go too far into that because that's not my area. I don't really know. But the point is, is like it was very interesting to see the actual effects of when people all of a sudden understood language that made sense to them. Yeah. How, they, how engaged they got. Take that a step further, right? Like if all of a sudden you hear sounds that are familiar to you, you're going to engage. You understand it's for you. It takes more than saying, we want y'all to come in here. Then you go in there and you see something that makes no sense to you. You're not going to be engaged. So, you know, I think the other big question that's always on our minds, and this is across the classical music slash new music field, it's always about audiences, right? It, it, whether It's whether like, you know, there's the universal question, I think, amongst all of these classical music institutions of younger people. How do we get younger people to come, you know? And then, like, sometimes you have more targeted uh, goals, right? How do yeah. we get this community to come? How do right. we get more black people to come? Right. And that's the only thing I want to talk about for right, for this. Like, how do we get more black people there? And, the, and that seems to be, like, the big question, right? How do we get them to come? You're black. 
why do you come to this? Yeah. You know, blah, 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 blah. And it's, it's so complicated. And I'm like, well, you know, I think sometimes in these hallowed halls we have, you know, these hallowed halls, they love to keep, you know, these, these hallowed halls of classical music, these, these uh, disciplined arts, y'all, this is a, there's a barrage of air quotes. Y'all can't see these disciplined <laughs> yeah. arts, the high art, mm-hmm. the, you know, all these things we like to say, they forget that like the model of entertainment, the audience is there. Like who's serving who? Like, let's, let's, let's be humble for a second and remember that there are a group of people paying their money for something. Mm-hmm. Let's just remember that because there's a common sense answer to this. If you want a certain group of people to come to your show, all you have to do is be like, okay, what group? That group? What kind of music does that group like? If you want them to come, play that kind of music. Yep. Like, like you know, par example, you're like, oh, black people. You know, they love to be like, oh, we got to go to the churches. Yeah. You know, we got we got some kind of a musical thing here and we need some people who are musically inclined. Let's go to the black churches. Okay, fine. Sure, that's cool. There's also, you also can go to conservatories because we're also still there. We're also there. We're right. also there, right? Right. right? But it's like, let's just use the church one. They love to go there. How do we get more people who go to this church to want to come to the show? I'm like, you know, there's music in this church service. You don't have to guess. Mm-hmm. This is the music that they seem, they, you know, I'm making yeah. the they again. The, the music, they the, seem the to like this. You know, play some music that sounds like that. Yeah. Heaven forbid you program a piece that has any kind of a gospel sound or any kind of a jazz sound. I mean, we're catching on to the obviously, right? We see these pieces going up now that are, we're catching on to, but the non rocket science-ness of this. Yep. That's a hyphenated word for y'all. Keep it. The non-rocket <laughs> right. science-ness of this. This mm-hmm. is so easy. This is low-hanging fruit. Yep. I mean, this is what basic people who make their own music and sell it outside. Like we can pop music. I and mean, this is not hard to figure out. Yep. Build it and they yep. will come. Let me let me, let me me wrap us up by oh asking you this. Oh my God. talk about anything I want to talk about. <laughs> I ramble, I tell you. Um, I was, you know, another thing that you said that really resonated me was resonated with me was how people are more engaged if they understand you know we're talking about language but i think it can be bigger than just language understanding the point understanding the subject matter understanding the goals so as we look ahead to this performance that includes isolated triptych how are you going to make sure that you're doing everything you can do to be understood and what you're presenting, considering the nuance and the broadness of what this project is. You know, I think the the first thing about being understood is listening. You know, I think we spend so much time on figuring out I can be understood and we immediately go to our deportment. We immediately go on. If I say it like this, they'll get this idea. We, we just listen. People, they don't make it hard. You know, listen to the response. Like if you're doing something and people are, you know, checking their texts, unwrapping wrappers, you know, doing this, looking, looking down, looking at corners, they're not engaged. And if they're not engaged, then you're not, you're not going to, then, and if your goal is for them to be engaged, you need to change what you're doing. You know, you can't keep having, I can't keep holding on to these specifically in this piece. There's an abstract nature to it. Um, But like in the moments I want them to understand exactly what's happening, then it's like, are they getting it like this? No, then let me, let me adapt to them. Like there's, there's a certain, amount of humility as a performer that if you want to be understood you have to understand that part of that responsibility is on you if i want if, if i want a group of greek people to understand me it behooves me to learn how to speak greek 
You know, if I want a Spanish speaking audience to understand me, it behooves me to learn how to speak Spanish. If I want a the black blacks, audience, let's just say <laughs> if I want a bunch of black people to understand or be interested in what I'm doing, my goal isn't, well, let me go teach them how to understand what I'm doing. My, you've got to accomplish it. Like, if you want them to come, then you've got to be like, huh, well, maybe I need to include things that other people like in what I'm doing. And if that manifests itself by like, you know, people want to see other people that look like them, then maybe you need to hire more black people. If it manifests itself that people are like, I don't understand this music. Like, I don't understand this atonal thing. I don't get it. I don't understand this like four or five. One. I don't understand why there's so many piccolos. Like, if you don't understand that, <laughs> right. you know, if I don't hear a beat, I don't hear a beat. This isn't music. If, if, if a group of people you want to come cherish things like beats, I don't know, make some music with a beat. You know, if you want a young crowd to come, what are the kids listening to? Figure out a way to, you know, figure out a way to bring that into it. You know, it's, 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 there's a level of humility and, 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 and just, it's humility. I think in these hallowed halls, again, I think the biggest lesson is humility. I think a lot of these people who make these decisions that are really good at it, you know, these administrators who make all these decisions, these presidents of these things and these organizers and all these new positions opening up across the board, you know, there's all these, you know, now I have a, I'm a director of this. I'm, I'm in charge of impact and I'm in charge of this. I'm in charge of bringing in brown people, you know, all these new positions people are making. And some of them I think are better than others. You know, I think some people are, have a different grasp on it. It's all new territory. Everyone's trying to figure it out. We'll see, <laughs> you know, we'll see which one is the way to do it. And maybe there's multiple ways to do it, you know, and also it's not a constant, you know what I mean? That's the other thing I think I want us all to realize we are not bones. We are growth plates at the moment. This is the point we are at the literal point where change is happening. There is going to be a, a, a amount of trial and error. Just like with a new piece, right? You write a new piece, you're trying out a new technique. Oh my God, I'm gonna try a, I'm gonna try a harder read today. You know, let's try it out. Sometimes you're like, yes, that was bomb. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you're like, oh God, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't even access my top register with this hard ass. But it's read. the trying. It's the trying. It's the trying. It's the effort. Now that doesn't mean, listen, we're not handing out E for effort grades here. Like you that were still too. accountable. Yeah. Like applaud you for trying, but you were still accountable for your results. Like this isn't a carte blanche thing. Like you don't get to try and fail and, and end up being that people are still not granted access and not happy and still feeling like boo boo the fool and feeling mistreated you still are responsible for the results but yes i i give you a sensible appropriate golf clap is that what they call it a golf clap mm -hmm. is that a call or a tennis clap <laughs> maybe an opera is clap. it a golf i'll give you an opera <laughs> clap for your effort but you know I'm, I'm i'm more interested i'm less interested in the efforts as i am in the results and i will patiently wait for some results and if the results are what people want you know, you have every right to continue to support these organizations if you want, but you also have every right to not. You know, there's there's another thing, and I, I hate, and I'm sorry, I know you got to go, but the, the last thing I want to leave my peers with, because it's not always about talking to the audience, it's not always about talking to these people running these organizations. Sometimes it's talking to peers. Like, yes, we're in a very unfair fucked up situation like mm -hmm. what's happening is a little fucked up and i think it, it, and it's ridiculous that people who train and are at the levels that they are have to engage in all of this just to work like sometimes you don't want to you know sometimes you just want sometimes you just want to be happily black 
Sometimes you just want to be comfortably black. Sometimes you don't want to have to come there and be ready to like tie your hair up because somebody's going to talk to you sideways. Sometimes you just want to be comfortably black. And sometimes you want to be comfortably black in spaces that aren't designated as black spaces. And we're going to get there. But always remember, you know, everyone is not granted access to you. Yes, there's this conversation of we want access to these spaces, but mm-hmm. there's you know you also don't have to grant people access to you. Like if we didn't learn anything about this by this lockdown period is that we've we've got reach. There's all kinds of virtual performances, there are all kinds of new spaces and like, you know, we've got a different reach. Yes, it's awesome to sing at these places that got these big pocketbooks. You know, it's nice to sing for a $60,000 contract. You know, that's nice. I get that. That doesn't take a lot of thought. But sometimes you ha- you know, sometimes you've got to be a little truer to yourself and if 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 that means you're going to lend your talents and your gifts to a space that is respectful of your talents and your gifts. And maybe that space doesn't have ivory columns and a gold curtain. You know what I mean? Maybe that space doesn't have it right now. Sometimes people learn, you, you know, people will, when people no longer have access to you, they will respect you. You know, like if, if they can treat you this way and you're still going to do it, the lesson is, is that they can treat you this way. So just yeah. be mindful of that. Sometimes we need to say no. Like sometimes they're like, hey, we're gonna give you $50,000 to do this. And then here's some conditions that you don't like. Sometimes you got to say no. And, you know, start your own companies. You know, there's there's a lot of interesting things to be done. You know, we've got resources. We've got a lot of talent. We can start our own companies. We can start our own orchestras. A lot of people have, you know, shout out to those who are doing it. We can support our own. You know, we've got all these all-star great talents that regularly lend themselves to certain kinds of organizations you know lend your lend your voice and your talent sometimes to some of these black owned organizations and and black ensembles and and people doing that like don't you know don't forget that too like that is also how we help each other you know like let's yes let's make sure that they back to the days let's make sure that the theys are doing right too but then like let's 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 you know let's Let's take care of us let's take care of us like let's you know, let's invest in ourselves and take ourselves seriously and just not allow people to treat us any old kind of way. We don't have to sing in their spaces. We don't have to create for them. We don't have to. We can when we want to. You know, if it's a respectable, if it's a respectful, mutually beneficial contract that's being offered, then take it. If it's not the kind of contract you want, don't take it. And you're allowed to tell people why you didn't take it, but you don't have to subject yourself to some of these things. Now, sometimes you have to, and we'll work that out. That's another conversation on another podcast. But like, but you know, take care of yourself first. Don't let don't don't let them run this. Don't you know? Don't let them run you down too much to where you're not functioning, to where you can't even be happy and you can't catch a breath. Like, don't let this fight, even though it's an important fight, don't let it occupy every inch of your artistic identity. It's an important fight, but it can't be all of what you are, you know?